Grab your Bibles, your Bibles, and open them to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And um, before I start reading that, I have another announcement uh, that I asked Landon for the permission to make myself. So I don't know whether you have noticed over uh, the past uh, two months, at least, maybe longer, there has been this one little sentence in the bulletin. Um, have you met Gigi? It's been in here for like 10 straight weeks. I wonder if any of you even noticed that and whether it registered, oh my goodness, what is that? Well, this morning I want to tell you what it is. I have been trying to tease you for 10 weeks um, with, uh, with, my, with my eyes set on this date of telling you what Gigi is. Um, Gigi is just a, an acrostic which stands for Growth and Grace Institute which I am going to conduct this uh, starting this summer. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, in, in the book of First John, chapter 2, verses 11 and following, John writes to little children, fathers, young men. Apparently, in the mind of John, there were various levels of spiritual maturation. Little children, young men, fathers. And so what I have put together is an institute. Um, I don't know what you call three trimesters. I guess you call it three trimesters. Uh, but they're not semesters, they're trimesters. They're, they're three times, the summer, the fall, and the spring. I'm going to teach on Saturday mornings from 10 to noon um, courses. The first level is this summer. Um, it, this is the, uh, the, 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 the startup, you know, the, the little children level. I'm going to teach five Saturdays, four of them in June, one in July. Uh, and they're going to be all how-to courses, um, how to study your Bible, uh, how to speak in tongues. That's just a joke. Um, but it will be about the Holy Spirit whose role is vital in sanctification um, how to parent. Oh, that should be great. Like I know a lot about parenting. Um, and then how to be happy though married. That'll be on marriage. And here's one that'll be a blockbuster. This, the room will be packed over this one. How to give. Oh boy, they'll come out of everywhere for that one. It might be me and Susie and me and Susie alone for that one. But guys, what I'm going to offer you is a package, a package of information over a year um, in the fall, the courses will not be how-to courses. They're going to deepen up a little bit. And then in the winter, they're going to deepen up a little bit more. It's going to be kind of a three, like First John 2, kind of a three-step process in this process of discipleship. Now, you don't have to come. You don't have to come all five this summer. You don't, you don't have to do any of it. Um, but I'm going to make it available. Before I die... Um, I wanted to do this. Um, I, I did something in Florida called the Saturday Seminary. That's basically what this is. It's a Saturday Seminary, but we're calling it the Growth and Grace Institute in terms of the how-tos, that's level one. And then by the time you get to level three, you're going to be in over your head. Um, but um, it'll be available for you starting the summer. I think it's the first Saturday in June, four straight Saturdays. And again, you don't have to come, if you come number one, you got to come all five. No, this is, I'm going to make this as easy as I can make it. You can come to one, not come to any more. You can come to three. You can come to none, you, you know, but it's going to be there for you. Um, 
When I stand before God, I want to be able to say everything that I think they needed, I tried to give them. Now, that, that, I probably can't do that because I'm, I'm not that good, but I'm going to try. I'm going to take a stab at it. So it starts this summer. It's an institute. It'll be, um, it, it'll be fairly easy level one, but level two, things are going to toughen up a bit. And, um, and, and by the time you get to level three, and by the way, if it gets traction this year, in that one year, I'm going to do it again and again and again until I die. I just keel over at a podium someplace. Uh, that'd be really neat, you know? <clears throat> so now you haven't wondered who Gigi is, but I just told you anyway, um, that's what Gigi is. It's the Growth and Grace Institute. If you want to learn how to speak in tongues, then you probably better go to another church. <laughs> but I'm, all I'm saying there is, uh, there's got to be some information about God, the Holy Spirit, and his role in sanctification. And that's what that course will be about. Be five of them this summer. Love to have you. Uh, give it some thought. It'll be two hours, starts at 10, over at noon. Um, five Saturdays. And then we'll do f- maybe six Saturdays in the fall. Certainly being through before the football games start. Mm, I wouldn't want to interrupt with those. Ooh. And then in the winter, we'll do, we'll do some more. Okay? Come be with me. It's just me for right now. I, I would love to see it get some traction and we expand the faculty. We'd love to do that. But we'll see. Right now, we'll just start with how to be happy though married. <laughs> that's one of the courses this summer, right? All right. Now, that's what Gigi is, and I'll be telling you more. Um, if, I mean, when I get back from Israel, that is, if I get back from Israel, um, <clears throat> alive. You follow now as I read that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. This book, ladies and gentlemen, is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. And I get the privilege of reading some of it to you and then trying to explain it. It starts at verse one, chapter four. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them um, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Confused? <laughs> you know, it, it is um, studying through a book like we do here at Grace Evan is a real challenge, particularly when you come to a book as complicated as the book of Hebrews. 
And I think part of the reason that it's such a challenge is because the way that we study or the way that we are allowed to study is so choppy. By that I mean the last time you and I were together in Hebrews was three weeks ago. And, um, you know, you can't study anything and take three weeks off, but, you know, that's just the way we got. And then these, these chapter divisions, those things really make for confusion because very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, that chapter four should not be in there. It should be one big old chapter. Um, because in chapter four, the author of Hebrews is simply continuing his exposition of Psalm 95. Where was that? Oh, that was back in chapter three. See it up there? Uh, Verses 7 through 11 in chapter 3. That's Psalm 95. Back in chapter 3, his focus was on the rebellion. And every Jew knew what the rebellion was. You know, when they were supposed to go in the promised land, the spies and all that. I've I've covered that. But he's continuing with Psalm 95, but changing his emphasis. He moves from the rebellion that's mentioned in Psalm 95. He moves our focus to the last line of Psalm 95, which is, they shall not enter my rest. So in chapter four, we're talking about rest. He mentions the word rest nine times in 11 verses. Now, there's a four-letter simple word that mocks us, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, is rest really obtainable in this chaotic world? I feel more like a a galley slave chained to an oar, you know, over and over. Life goes over and over. Have you ever heard the sentence, um, an albatross, he's got an albatross around his neck? You ever heard that? You know where that came from? This is really kind of funny, I think. It came from the longest poem ever written in English by Samuel Taylor Coleridge called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I bet you studied it if you had had some English lit courses. Uh, but you know what it's about? It's about uh, these sailors, and one of them uh, kills a bird. You know, they're, they're sailing through whatever, and a bird comes down, and, and this sailor kills the bird, an albatross. And the rest of the sailors think, oh my goodness, this is bad, a bad omen. We are now condemned. To sail on forever and ever and ever and never come into a harbor. Never have rest. (laughs) That's what we got. We got an albatross around our neck. You know, guys, uh, this is somewhat of an aside, but not really. you, You may not agree with me over this, and that's fine. But um, do you remember back in August when um, that website, uh, Ashley Madison, was hacked? Remember that? You remember Ashley Madison was the website that arranged extramarital affairs? Remember that? And all the, all the people got listed? People committed suicide over that, ladies and gentlemen. That's the honest truth. They kill themselves. But that, that website was making gazillions and, you know, I don't think it's so much because we've got a bunch of sexual deviants in this, in this country. Maybe we do. Maybe we've got a bunch of sexual deviants. But I think it's more driven by people who are just, they want something. A little zest or maybe a little rest. 
Guys, you, you need to notice from this passage that I read you, the subject is rest, as I said. But you, you've got to notice, first of all, that what you're being told about rest is being told you in the context of a warning. Do not miss it. Whatever it is, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. Don't miss it. Don't miss out on it. He says it three or four times in the text. He's talking about rest, but his, basically what you've got is an exhortation. Don't miss it. You know, he says, you guys had the gospel. We've had the gospel preached to us just like they did. Who's that they? It's those people up here in Psalm 95, you know, in the rebellion. They had the gospel preached to them just like we did, he says in verse 2. Um, and then he mentions um, creation. Those people knew about creation, you know, the six days that God worked, but you know, and then he took a day off and, and took the, day, the seventh day off and rested. They knew about that, but it didn't do them any good. They knew all about that. But they still missed out. They missed out on the rest. Um, and what this text is, is an exhortation not to miss out on the rest. My rest, God calls it. Now, um, what is this rest like? Um, the, the author tries to, or the author of Hebrews, tries to describe it by giving you a couple of comparisons in the text. There's a couple of comparisons in there. He compares, for instance, creation, the six days of creation, um, which is a sort of a work week, you know, fatigue and toil, scratch out a living, that kind of thing, with the seventh day, which is a rest. God rested. And by the way, did you know that that's what the Sabbath is? Sunday. It's supposed to be a reminder. It's supposed to be a reminder of the arrest that awaits you. That's one of his comparisons. The other comparison is the Canaan and the wilderness, you know, the promised land and the wilderness. Boy, I've seen that wilderness. I'm about to see it again. It's an arid wasteland. Scorpions and all that business, you know. Uh, Versus the rest of the promised the, the rest associated with the promised land. So um, the way that he's describing it <clears throat> is that he uses these two symbols. Um, creation, seventh-day rest, and wilderness versus Canaan. But they're just symbols, guys. They're, they're symbols of the rest. They're not the rest. They're just Symbols of the rest. Um, But clearly, the rest that the author has in mind is something eternal. Heaven. He doesn't tell us much about heaven. In fact, he doesn't tell us really anything other than it's rest. 
You see, guys, um, for Christians, if you become a Christian, all of the obstacles that stand in your way to rest have been removed. What obstacles? Well, primarily, sin. The big thing that stood in your way in terms of entering the rest was our sin. But for the Christian, you see, that's been, that's been taken care of. Oh, there you go again, Dr. Young. I, you know, you always do it. You're just, you, you know, you're telling us some stuff that, yeah, I, I know, I know, it's, it's probably very important stuff, but it really doesn't help me much now. And, you know, I, I could really use some help now. I know you could. So could the rest of us. So, um, let's see, uh, if this helps. I'm going to, I'm going to draw from my vast experience as a counselor. Ha! Um, I'm not a good counselor, ladies and gentlemen. I've never claimed to be, but I have been doing this for 50 years. I'm 40 years, 45 years. So I have had some experiences, and, and here's, here's what I found. One of the things I've found. That there are a couple of three things that really rob us of rest. Let me mention two, and then I'll get to the third, and, and a couple more after that. But... Um, The, um, the two things that I, that I hear most about is guilt, and secondly, anxiety. You see, guilt is the thing that keeps me oriented to my past. It, it focuses my attention on things that I should have done but didn't. And the things that I shouldn't have done, but I did. Guilt is, is, is kind of a burden that I carry around that saps me of my energy and dissipates what enthusiasm I may have for life. So, you see, guilt is that which orients me to my past. Anxiety, on the other hand, is the thing that orients me towards my future. Um, instead of being able to enjoy my present, I'm so concerned about the dread that I have about the future. So I'm caught. I'm caught between the concerns that I have about my past and the concerns that I have about my future. And so I'm not I'm not real equipped to live very well in the present. Now, guys, the, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is good news that Jesus has delivered me from, from my guilt. 
because he's paid for my sin. And therefore, my past no longer needs to torture me. But the gospel contains more, more good news just than, than just that. It, it not only delivers me from the, the effects of yesterday's sin, it, it also delivers me from the anxiety that, that makes me dread my future. Have you ever heard the old cliche, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future? You know, that's, uh, that's more profound than you may have thought. As Christians, we know who holds the future. You know, um, I'm leading a group to Israel. They leave on Friday. And there's been a lot of talk about, oh, you know, ISIS and, and them shooting us. And, you know, and I'm concerned about all that. But did you know that there is a promise, a statement made in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, that says this, for it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Did you know that your death is by appointment? It's not by accident. You know, virtually, I am indestructible until my appointment arrives. Now, that doesn't, you know, you hear these people interviewed on CNN, and they say, I can't let the terrorist win, I'm gonna go ahead. Well, you know, yeah, but what mine is rooted in is a promise that God made me. Not some political correct jibber-jabber. So the gospel helps me address my guilt and my anxiety, but then there's a third biggie. And I'm telling you, it's probably bigger than the other two. Shame. Well, now, Dr. Young, could you tell us the difference between guilt and shame? You know, I'm, sure I, I'm not sure I can. What's the difference? I don't, I don't really know. It, it seems that, that shame is that inner pain that I experience because of my guilt. You know, the, the, the place where I've seen it the best, uh, have you ever seen that painting by Masaccio? It's in Florence, Italy. I've seen, Susie and I have seen it. Um... It's, it, it's a 15th century painting of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. Have you ever seen that? He's got his arm around her, and, and they're, they're, there's an angel above him with a sword and driving them out of the Garden of Eden. It's, it's a famous painting um, in a chapel in Florence. My, my point is, you can see the pain. That's what I think the shame is. Um, humor me for a moment. Let's just imagine that all of that stuff I just said five minutes ago about guilt and anxiety, let's just imagine, you know, just for the fun of it, let's just imagine that it's all true. And if it is, 
It is in the gospel where I am offered a remedy. And I would say to you, the only remedy for your shame, my shame. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think it was Francis Schaeffer that said this. And I think I maybe said this before, but I, I love the image. There is a point at which, just imagine yourself that you've got a big, great Dane dog. You know, a big dog, a big, great Dane dog, you know. And this kind of a lovable creature, and the, the dog just keeps jumping up on you, you know. And he's big as you are and throws his paws over your shoulders and... Imagine that for a moment is the shame. And at some point, ladies and gentlemen, you got to look at that dog and you got to say, Get down! Based on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for me, get down! Leave me alone! And, 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 and I say that based on promises that God has made me in his word about the declarations of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very frankly, if, I, if I'm not right about this, I, I'm, I feel sorry for you because there is no remedy for your shame other than medication. And very frankly, it won't ultimately take away your shame. Um, back to that anxiety thing. People afraid to die. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I understand that. We Christians, we die too, you know? But do you know what the God that you say you believe in says about your death. I go to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. Or, or living, living a wasted life. You know, just um, a useless life, a wasted life. People, people talk about that worry, that anxiety. Do you belong to the, king, to the king of glory? Do you? Well, he's given you a purpose. And it ought to be enough to make life worth living. Make it meaningful. Guys, um, if all of this that I just said were true about guilt and anxiety and shame and wasted lives, if all that's true, then you may not call that rest like the text does. But I think you would at least agree that we'd all be a whole lot emotionally healthier. We miss out on that because we fail, ladies and gentlemen, to tease out 
the implications of the gospel and the promises that are made to us in the gospel. And do you know what that's called? It's called unbelief. The Christian version. You know, guys, there's, it's, it's one thing to believe in Christ. It's another thing to believe Christ. So, um, instead of believing those things that God has said in his word, we run off to Ashley Madison and list our name as a candidate for an extramarital affair. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the promises that are contained in here are the foundation for the anxious soul. It is the foundation for those who so wrestle with shame. And I don't know of another one. Guys, gotta hurry. The text tells us also who enters the rest. It tells us um, in verses 2 and 3, uh, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. Here it is. For we who have believed enter that rest. You see, there's such a thing as rest and there's such a thing as entering it. And it says here that the ones who enter it are the ones who have believed, not the ones who have been baptized. But the ones who have staked their whole eternity on what God has said about sin and salvation. Gang, um, you will notice that the author in verse 10 says, um, for whoever has entered God's rest has also, look at that, rested from his works just as God did from his. You know, guys, have you done that? Have you rested from your works? Or are you still trying to save yourself? We love that gospel that tells us we can save ourselves if we're just good enough. We love that. We want to be our own savior. But the people who have not rested from those that's earn, 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 they're the ones that miss out on the rest. Um, guys, this is... This is a little bit of a side, and then I'll wrap this up. But, you know, a moment ago I said, Yeah, Dr. Young, you always tell us stuff that is important, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I need some help right now. Well, let me tell you this. Personally, if there were no heaven, if there were no hell, I would still want to be a Christian. Because there is no other remedy for guilt and shame and anxiety, purposelessness fear of death. There's no other other remedies. 
If, if heaven and hell didn't exist, I'd still want to. I'd still want to. I'd still want to be a Christian because that's the only place that gives me remedies for my unrest. Now, my restlessness and my albatross around my neck. You know, guys, there's a story in Genesis um, chapter 8. And I think you know it. It's during the flood. And, um, you know, the flood is over and they're, they're thinking, okay, it's about time to get off the ark. And so Noah sends out a dove, pigeon or something like that. And, um, and the text says, and the dove could find no place to rest. So she came back to the ark. Gang, there's no rest out there. The only place you're going to find rest is when you come back to the ark. The only place you're going to find some sense of peace for that inner man of yours is when you stop all this madness about trying to work, earn your way. You know, I've often wanted to ask somebody who is who believes like that, when do you ever know that you've done enough good little deeds? Hmm? When do you ever know? Is there some line you cross? Is there a finish line out there that says, okay, you've done enough of those things? I read a a little blog a couple of weeks ago about a young Jewish boy who who added up all his good works and he had 1,020. And he said, okay, that's fine. I got 1,020. Is that enough? Or do you need 2,020? Or maybe you need 50,020. Or maybe you need 76,447. When do you know that you've got enough? There's no rest out there, ladies and gentlemen. There's no rest. There's no rest except on the ark which, of course, is Christ. Um, do you know the name Lamech? <laughs> he and his wife had a baby. Uh, this is in Genesis 5. They uh, named their son Noah. Noah. You know him, Noah they are. You know what Noah means? Noah means... Rest. Noah's parents thought maybe Noah will bring us rest. He didn't. And neither will any creation of yours. Rest, ladies and gentlemen, is only found in Jesus Christ. This author says to his audience, don't miss this. And I'm saying to my audience, Don't miss it.
Our Father, I do pray that you would uh, remind us that all of our um, all of our efforts to produce a certain serenity of the soul is not working, and that uh, the remedies that we are looking for are found first when the obstacles to rest are removed, that of course being sin. And there's only one Savior who removes that obstacle, and his name is Jesus. And I pray, O God, that every person within the sound of my voice knows that Savior, the one who alone can take us to an eternal rest. Father, um, if you brought somebody here today who is still trying to scratch and claw their way into heaven based on their goodnesses, would you show them that they've been duped, duped by the devil, and that they need to rest from their works so that they can rest in Christ's work. Father, do that. Um, my sermon can't. My, my reasoning skills cannot. But you, by your Spirit, can grant eyes to see. Do it for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.